the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, 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 everybody. I hope you had a great weekend. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and we have some ground to cover. Two great interviews, excuse me, two um Two topics I want to cover today. I, I will have one interview with Jerry Perna, the aunt of Matt Perna, the late Matt Perna, who uh, committed suicide because of what was happening to him with the January 6th. He had been uh, arrested regarding January 6th, and it's uh, coming up on a year anniversary. And Jerry is a very articulate, very um, anguished voice of uh, folks that were um, – that have family members or others uh, impacted by January 6th. So we'll talk with her. And then also I will cover some ground here on a uh, what happened over the weekend in football. Uh, and one of the great plays, the great happenings of the weekend happened in the locker room, happened in front of the press after the game. The second game this weekend, the Chiefs versus the Bengals. Uh, I will fill you in on that. Inspiring play. Uh, inspiring play. Very cool what happened. Uh, all right, but let's get to what you need to know. I got a little bit of frog in my throat. It's allergies. I think it's allergies. Could be a cold, but it's, uh, uh, it is not COVID. I promise. If you're breathing heavily right near the, uh, speaker, uh, or have headphones in, you will not get COVID from me. It's just allergies. Uh, it's been going through our house, just allergies or a bug. There's been stuff going through our house. We have three kids living with us. And, uh, so, um, our three children, our oldest is away, although she was just here till a few weeks ago. Seems like every bug uh, comes through the house uh, we have it so there you have it but here let's talk about what you need to know today's wink as the week opens up over the weekend donald trump uh, made his first two appearances uh, on the campaign trail at least sort of of the new campaign one in new hampshire one in south carolina he rolled out some of his leadership uh, people, former chairman of the New Hampshire Republican Party, uh, Senator uh, Lindsey Graham of uh, South Carolina and others, uh, Governor McMaster's, Henry uh, McMaster's, a well-liked governor of South Carolina, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I I'm more interested, by the way, in Trump's uh, videos that he's been rolling out, really good policy videos on everything from pro-life to uh, fentanyl, uh, bombing the cartels, uh, fighting censorship. He's He's doing a nice job. But here's what you need to know. The Republican Party, a lot of them, are desperate to say things like, oh, Trump can't be the nominee. It's going to be someone else. And there's a lengthy piece. Uh, again, I go to Politico to figure out what the left is thinking. Then I follow this one. Politico linked to a piece in The Atlantic. A liberal journalist named McKay Coppins wrote a lengthy piece there about how Republicans really want Trump to move on. And then McKay Coppins writes... But there's no plan to get him to move on. And you look around, and you read the whole article, you say, what are you talking about? It's not that there's not a plan. That, that you, you can't make a plan if somebody else is going to be stronger or run stronger or compete more. I mean, what, what's the plan? I, I think that DeSantis has a plan. He wants to run for president. Uh, Nikki Haley has a plan. She wants to run for president. Uh, Pompeo has a plan. He wants to run for president. Whatever, you pick a topic. The, the Never Trumpers have a plan. They want to run ads against him or something. I, sometimes you wonder if the Never Trumpers would be happy to have Trump around because they raise money off of him. 
But when you hear, see, read this article, it, they say, oh, Republicans really don't want him, but they don't have a plan. It's nonsense. The plan would be beat him. The plan would be beat him. Go out and get candidates and beat him. What they're really saying is Trump can't be beat. And if you look, watch Politico, they're talking, oh, Trump's got more legal troubles. There's no, there's no legal trouble, troubles at this point. If you get some fringe prosecutor to indict Trump, it'll be perceived as what it is, a political hit job. He's a candidate for president. And the hand-wringing by the left about Trump and by the media and the establishment Republicans about Trump doesn't change the fact that he's running and he's running strong and that if there are more than two people in the race, he wins because he's already got probably has 50 percent plus, but he's got a lot. If he doesn't have 50 percent, he's got 40 percent or some number like that. that are going to stay with him. And remember, it's not an election about who you think is the best person. It, you know, I, I like Trump. I, I really think we could get someone better. That's not the standard. It's Trump versus Biden again. And Biden is clearly now shown to be corrupt, incompetent, an income poop. But maybe incompetent and income poop didn't matter. But corrupt does. There's more and more evidence of his corruption. His son running these uh, Chinese and and uh, and Ukrainian uh, uh, business deals. But here's what you need to know. You have to run someone again against Trump. You have to have a plan to beat him, which is a candidate. And one of the things I said today, I had a lunch with a friend of mine. I said, I think that Donald Trump is the only guy that can win the primary because of people know him. And second, he the other guys that are running don't realize how bad it will be to run. That You just saw a little touch of it. Politico started to run a piece. Uh, I think it was called Meet uh, DeSantis's Inner Circle. Right now, Donald Trump's inner circle, outer circle, upper circle, under circle, everything circle has been scrutinized. Everything about him is already baked in, except what's not baked in or what is baked in. That's not anything. You know, if you want to say the personal this, but what what is also baked in, let me say it that way, is his record. Conservative judges, peace in the world, a booming economy taken on the swamp. That's what he's going to do. He's going to say these other guys and gals are going to have to get into the ring and realize they're going to face a level of scrutiny they've never seen. And theirs is not baked in. There's just no way that it's been baked in. So you do a piece that a political runs meet Don DeSantis's political circle. And you start to see, they're going to talk about all these different guys around him. And they're going to start to go through those guys lives. They're going to start to go through and and describe who these people are and what they do and where they came from and how they played uh, politics and what their deal is about, where they made their money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's really um, clear that these guys, I don't think, really understand uh, what it means. And, And again, by the way, I'm not saying that Trump is the best candidate. I happen to think he's pretty darn good. I'm saying You don't get to say uh, a candidate, there's a better person, and you're not giving anybody else up. I know people think it's DeSantis, but wait until the Klieg lights shine. We'll see. He might survive it. Scott Walker didn't. Jeb Bush didn't. And over the weekend, one of the things Donald Trump did was shine a light on DeSantis. If DeSantis wants to call himself, as I think he has, better on COVID than Trump, Trump's not giving up that land, that real estate. He's saying when DeSantis was a governor, he did the same thing that other governors did. 
which was lock things down. Not for long, thankfully. DeSantis was the first one out, but he did do it. And what I think Trump is saying is there's no way, there is no way that you're going to see Donald Trump sit around and let it be defined for him. It's just not going to happen like that. And so it's um, it is going to be really, really interesting to watch. Uh, but what I what you need to know right now is when you see the pieces written by the Atlantic and Politico and they say there's not a plan to stop Trump, what they mean is nobody can stop him. That's what they're describing. I'm not sure they're right, by the way. I think there's there's plenty of things that could happen. But that's what they're saying. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we'll get Jerry Perna, and then we'll cover this incredible play that the Cincinnati Bengals had and a lot more. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I mentioned on Friday uh, that uh, we would speak uh, this week with Jerry Perna. I wasn't sure if it would be on uh, Monday or when we'd get to talk to her. Jerry Perna has um, has stepped into a role she never wanted. I can tell you from having talked to her and I've never once she never saw it. Um, but she is a um, what I would say is a, a leader now, a spokeswoman for what's happened in this country in the last couple of years. Um, the, the tragedy of this is that her nephew, Matthew Perna uh, was there on January 6th. Um, he was he's from was from Pennsylvania. And uh, over the process of uh, being investigated and ultimately charged, it, it just um, I guess uh, to me, it was a kind of torture. It was a kind of terror torture the way it's described to me. And he ultimately uh, took his life. Uh, and that tragedy um, spurred his aunt, his uh, uh, Jerry Perna, to uh, to help. And she's had an event in his, um, I guess, maybe not his hometown, but the nearest hometown to raise money for suicide awareness. And she's maybe more importantly been one of the voices of uh, the uh, of the many, many family members who are questioning how this and why this is happening. Happening. Uh, Patriot Freedom Project founder Cynthia Hughes was on the uh, last week, and and she uh, uh, and Jerry are, are often together, as sort of a tag team on uh, on how this is going. So, w- first of all, welcome Jerry. As always, whenever I think of and tell the story, I mean, I know you now, so we've had laughs and been together in different settings. It's not like we always think about this, but when I describe it, just such a horrendous tragedy um, and such an unwelcome role for you, but you really stepped into it. So, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Ed. So, um, Jerry, a couple of weeks from now, I think, is the anniversary of uh, your nephew's uh, suicide. And I've learned to talk about it more. Most people don't want to talk about these things because they're so terrible. But uh, talking about it helps people understand. Jerry, now that you have a couple of uh, years uh, under your belt um, of, of living through this, um, it, it, you know, what are the lessons when you look back? Is the, is the lesson – I mean, I've heard you talk about – how hard it was on Matt. I've heard you talk about the after effects and, and the echoes through the family. I've heard you speak about why is the system like this? So how do you feel two years after this? I feel like we're worse off than ever, Ed. Um, we've not seen any any halt or any slowdown on the arrests and prosecutions for the people from January 6th. Um, knowing what I know now, Almost a year after Matt's death, I I almost hate to say this because Brandon Strzok was on Tucker Carlson a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about his life now after he basically paid his debt to society and how it's ruined. And, you know, Google, Google is everywhere. It follows you everywhere. 
And after he was on there talking about his life now, and he only spent a couple nights in jail and then he was on house arrest, comparing his situation to Matt, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Matt would never have survived any of this. If he made it through prison and came out the other end, having to face the scrutiny, the the issue with banking and, and processing payments and getting himself acclimated back into the business community with this with this felony following him around for the rest of his life. I hate to say it, but he would not have made it. Hmm. Um, and I almost you know, and I it's like I almost think that by him taking his life, he spared himself a, a lifetime of agony. And I don't blame him at all at this point for doing what he did. Well, and again, we're talking with Jerry Perna, and I'll put up uh, some links to her, her, um, the story here. Um, the hard part there, uh, Jerry, is um, I kind of wonder myself, though, uh, how, you know, it, it, you know, I don't know how things can change, right? How things could change. I mean, one of the things that you work so hard to do is talk to people about what's going on, you know, um, and, and what this means. Um, when you say you think it's worse now than then, um, do you think do you have hope I, I mean are you able to have hope in political leaders i mean when you look at the u.s house it's republican now and there's some people saying hey we got to get to the bottom of this I, I know some of them more than one probably you could single out and say you weren't doing anything before why are you going to do it now but on the other hand sometimes people step up right sometimes people change i mean i i i used to say to people that i i'm not looking for pureness of heart i'm looking for people to do the right thing i don't care if you're late to it i do care but i mean i want you to get to the right thing do you have much are you encouraged by some of that i have hope that that many of these people are going to redeem themselves now mm-hmm. and speak up you know we have louis gomert had um drafted the matthew perna act of 2022 right. which marjorie taylor green co-signed i have hope that this will be an opportunity for everybody to redeem themselves and and pass this into law so that no one, no other family has to watch their loved one go through this. That's where my hope lies. Um, It's hard to say because so many of them are still silent as if, you know, it's the least talked about. It's the the elephant in the room. It's the elephant in the room for many of them. Um, Jerry, one of the things they are starting to talk about. Yeah, sorry. One of the things that I, I wanted to ask you, though, about the specifics of this, because I think people will when they hear it in your voice, you can hear the pain. But but the facts are are, are brutal. And um, one of the phrases that I early on the Patriot Freedom Project, I, I saw one of those signs or T-shirts, uh, due process denied, which was a phrase that you've used. Others have used. Um, what tell, tell us a little bit of the contours of what Matt went through. I mean, even down to the very end where or after the very end of his life, where prosecutors were telling you stuff. I mean, I part of the problem here is it's a kind of cruelty that we wouldn't do. If you did this, if you did what they did to Matt to your German shepherd puppy, you'd be arrested for it. And here we are. Right. Mm-hmm. But so tell us the contours of that, of what he was going through in terms of not this wasn't a case of a guy in a jail, you know, can't get medical care, can't worship his God. They were doing this to him in his home. But in some ways, it was worse that, that way. There was no. But walk us through what that sort of how that um, treatment was so crazy and brutal. Well, for, you know, I don't know if it's because of the town where the local FBI was located um, or what their political feelings were 
or if the fact that Matt turned himself in the very morning was on there, but he never um, was placed on house arrest. He never had to sit in jail. They processed him for a couple hours at the FBI office in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, and then he was released. But he was he was essentially in a jail in his mind because he couldn't pick up the, the daily newspaper without there being some article about him, and none of them were true. They all stated that he broke into the Capitol. So the community up there that read this newspaper believed that Matt was some kind of a domestic terrorist that indeed broke into the Capitol. So he was embarrassed to go out. He gave his television away. I went in his house one day, his television was gone, and they said he gave it away. He got tired of looking at himself on television. He felt guilty that he wasn't sitting in the D.C. jail or one of the other jails across the country, and other people were. He had this tremendous feeling of guilt that he was allowed to be free. But, you know, Matt, like I have said many times, has never even had a parking ticket prior to this. So I don't know if some sympathy was shown him in that aspect, but it really just placed him in a prison of his own. Mm. And, you know, he he was afraid to leave his home. He was no longer out in the community. Matt was like he knew everybody. He went to all the coffee shops and he he was very active in his local networking um, committee and all of it stopped. And when you're spending that much time alone by yourself and all of these thoughts and all of these worst case scenarios are running through your head, it it can damage you mentally. And it did. And, and the constant the, delays and, 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 and postponements right. for the well, worst. Yeah. Tell, tell me, tell me that part of it. I mean, one of the things is that there was constant delays and, and back and yes. forth that, I mean, you know, again, it's made us all it made me into a much more um aware uh person in terms of the power of the criminal justice system i mean i'm 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 more sympathetic than i ever was because i've seen this i think this is worse i think there's a sort of the whole thing was a mindset that they wanted to torture these people because the uh because they the way they the way that the doj and others want the narrative to be as an insurrection and all this stuff let me ask you that question matt perna your your late son what was what were his politics was he a was Matthew. he a radical conservative was he uh, like uh was he what was this what was he like in terms of what he believed politically that really never got into politics until bernie sanders was running and matt was actually a bernie sanders supporter for, for the longest time and it used to be like a back and forth with him and i we'd argue back and forth about bernie sanders and then when trump entered the picture matt investigated everything he read everything and he came to the conclusion that Matt, that that Trump was going to be the best person for the job and and he supported him 100% but to say he was a radical he was radical where politics is concerned no Matt was radical about holistic medicine that was what he was radical about he was radical about eating well eating healthy exercising and avoiding pharmaceutical companies at all costs that's what he was most passionate about not politics does does but but so this is very interesting i mean i, I and i don't mean to be sort of uh, therapeutic talking about this uh, great suffering in this man's life but it's i think it does it does help to humanize things so he was a bernie guy and a, and a, and but what then did he become a trump guy did he did he like trump sort of yes. drain the swamp is that what what cuz he wouldn't have, you, you can't be a Bernie guy. Well, there's some policies that overlap, like Trump would take on some of uh, big pharma or whatever. But but was it the drain the swamp mentality or just the outsider or just the fighter? What? Well, how would you describe it? 
I think it was the drain the swamp mentality. And Matt was, you know, very much in tune to a lot of the corruption hmm. and things that take place in the political realm. And he felt that that President Trump was going to indeed drain the swamp. He was bold. He had, you know, no one had ever seen a presidential debate like the one that um, President Trump had with Hillary. You know, that was that was epic. <laughs> and I think that that was a big part of it for Matt. It was like, wow, this guy, this guy is saying things that no other person has ever said before or had the the strength to do it. You know, and the fact that he was a businessman and not a politician. You know, a lot of these people come into politics without two nickels to rub together. And three years later, they're multimillionaires. Well, um, he felt that Trump didn't need the money. So he was, right. a, you know, a obvious right. choice. Um, the uh, Jerry Pern is our guest and we're talking about her uh, and I like getting you into this, honestly, getting you flowing because you sound more like I know you just to be like energetic and not sad because it's so sad to talk about Matt's end, you know, on February 25th, February mm-hmm. 25th, uh, uh, t- t- 2022. So not, I, I misspoke earlier just about a year ago. Um, and and I, I'm sorry to go back to it, though. Tell me that last tell the listeners that last um, the, the sort of straw that broke the camel's back the way you see it and what the prosecutor later relayed to you or the family. Well, Matt was told that his sentencing hearing was going to be March the 3rd. And a week before that day, he had he had a, a breakdown and he called his attorney and he said, I have a very bad feeling about March the 3rd. That is the anniversary of his mother's death. And his attorney said, well, I got bad news for you, Matt. They postponed your hearing to April Fool's Day. So now he would have had to wait another month to learn his his sentence. And then somewhere in that conversation, he learned that the prosecution was looking to add a sentencing enhancement at the last minute. And it was um, a domestic terrorism. And it would take his sentence that his attorney kept telling him, Matt, with, with no prior history, six to 12 months tops. That's all you're going to get for these charges. Right. This now took that from a possibility of six to 12 months to four to six years in a federal prison. And that was on a Monday. Matt called me on the phone. He was sobbing. And I kept trying to encourage him. And I was thinking, maybe I need to fly up to Pennsylvania and be there for him. Um, And I said, don't worry, Matt, we're going to work this out. And that Friday, I got a phone call from my brother. And he told me I needed to come home because Matt had hung himself in his garage. And about, you know, we got through the funeral. And a couple I would say probably two months later, I was going through Matt's paperwork from his case, and I saw the name and phone number of the prosecutor on the case, and I decided to call him on the phone. And at first, I had to leave a message, and then the following day, they called me back and told me I was on a recorded line with witnesses. And I said, that's fine. And so the prosecutor got on the phone, and I... He told me, he says, I just want you to know that there are many people in our department, I'm assuming the Department of Justice, um, that were very upset when they heard about Matt killing himself. And I simply said to him, well, there are many people in your department who, who are responsible for Matt killing himself. I said, you yourself were looking to add a terrorism enhancement. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing he said to me that just blew me away. He said, well, if Matthew could have just waited another month 
I don't think that the terrorism enhancement would have stuck. And I said, seriously? I said, do you not understand it was the threat alone that caused Matt to kill himself? I said, your threat alone is what did it. And I said, I hope when you go to bed every night, the last thing you think of is my nephew, Matthew Perna, and the role you played in his death. And I hung up. Hmm. By the way, I'm going to tell you something. They said it was recorded. Can you ask for a recording, Mm -hmm. a copy of the recording? Have you ever asked? No, I never asked. I wonder if it'd be maybe worth FOIA to hear the, uh, depending on what they say, I guess they probably were being so careful. Um, I, I, to me, Jerry, when I hear you talk about it, besides, I'm, I'm sorry about the heartbreak. And, and again, we're talking with Jerry Perna, the, the aunt of uh, Matt Perna, who uh, tragically uh, took his own life uh, almost a year ago after just this sort of terror effort by the prosecutors, just uh, a, a, a kind of torture to me, whether they knew it or not, you know, the power, whether, whether they, whether they all sat around and said, let's make this, this guy's life miserable or not it, even it may be even worse if they just did it as a matter of course like oh we're we're so powerful we'll do what we want uh, but when i hear that exchange uh, uh, you know if he just hold on it wouldn't have stuck well then why were you sticking it to him except of course because like, exactly a lot, guys, a lot of these guys they try to stick it to him so that they can uh, try to make them uh, uh plead to something else or or not mount a serious defense or whatever so um well, Jerry, I, I, I applaud you as you're my friend now over these last year or so, but I applaud you for your efforts and and uh, and think it's so important that you're getting the story, the details out, because when you hear it, you start to put you, you hear Matt's life and then you hear the, the details and you start to say, oh, this isn't I, I'm not buying the narrative in the press. I, I want the context. So uh, thank you for doing that. And, and God bless you. And I'm sure I'll see you soon. Thank you, Ed. Thank you for having me on. Okay, Jerry Pern, everybody. Again, I'll put up on social media uh, the details and uh, a couple links there. Um, extraordinary. If you haven't heard, if you do a search, you can see she's spoken a number of times, including down in Washington uh, when there's been uh, uh, some rallies. And even, as she mentioned, uh, the great Louis Gohmert, the congressman from Texas, uh, had legislation. So uh, we will take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let's talk about good sportsmanship for a second. Let's talk about, uh, I don't know, sports in general. Um, I was watching with my wife, and I guess, I don't know, my son, for one of my sons for sure. I'm not sure if I was, if the other uh, kids were in the room, but we were watching the uh, football game this past weekend, and um the uh, Cincinnati Bengals were playing the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you saw that game, it went down to the wire and the game was um, decided in the last seconds on a field goal kick for the Chiefs uh, Chiefs to break the tie and win and go to the Super Bowl. But the last play, I think it was the last play before the kick. Yeah, it was, uh, was a play in which uh, the great quarterback for the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, uh, ran the ball, got a first down, and got out of bounds to stop the clock. There were no timeouts. As he was getting towards uh, the sideline, he was pushed out of the sideline by two Chiefs players, including one player whose name is Joseph Osei. Osei? I think I'm pronouncing that right. O-S-S-A-O-S-S-A-I. Uh, he played at the University of Texas. He's in his second season with the Bengals, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. 
and he's a great player, six foot four, 260 pounds, incredible athlete, defensive end, uh, had played a great game. And he, ta- he, he pushed Patrick Mahomes after Mahomes was clearly out of bounds, and therefore he received a 15-yard penalty, which was tacked on to that play, which got the kick down to a, a, a more manageable length, like 40 yards from being like a 50-yard kick or maybe even more. And so um, it was a brutal penalty. I mean, it was a brutal penalty. It was a penalty that uh, um, everybody, um, uh, yeah, it was a 45-year, a 45-yard kick. So if he doesn't get that penalty, it's a 60-yard kick. I don't think he makes it. So Joseph, here's the interesting part. After the game, a game ends, clearly the loss was because of that kick. And Joseph Osai is on the sidelines with his helmet on, but he's clearly weeping. He's crying. Now, here's a couple of things. One, the guy, the kid, is 22 years old. He's a year out of college. He was in college last year. I guess he played one year in Cincinnati. So he's been out of college for a, a year and 18 months, but he left college early. So he, he left college after his junior year, and so he's been out of college for like a year total in terms of his life year and a half, I guess, but he's a kid. He's 22 and he's just cost his team on a dumb play, a play that was not, he's, he's usually one of the smartest guys out there. He's really a savvy player and it was just a dumb play and he's crying on the sidelines and the camera can't get off of him. And my wife is getting more annoyed. Well, why are they showing this kid? You know, why are they showing he's got his helmet on, but he's clearly crying. And it was it was really sad. It was one of those things you felt for him, I guess, in a way that you can't look away from a train wreck. And we still watched it. They kept showing it. But here's where it gets interesting. I got up this morning and I didn't even know his name. I didn't remember his name last night. Uh, and I got up this morning or uh, I guess it was this morning. I didn't remember his name. I got up and I thought, I, I want to figure out who that guy is. And so I looked him up. And I learned all the stuff I just told you about him because I hadn't known any of that. I'm not a Cincinnati Bengals fan. I'm not really much of a fan of the NFL, to be honest. And so so he, all this stuff about his career and his life and his uh, his his time playing in the NFL and his time in, in college. But here's the more interesting thing. I noticed that when I was searching for information about him, there was a video of him after the game in the locker room when he addressed the press. And I tell you, I finished this whole thing watching that and having seen him in that game with more respect for this young man than I have for anybody I've seen at that level in a long, long time. He just, he was so well adjusted. He said it felt really bad to lose. He felt really bad about going, not going to the Super Bowl. You, I thought, okay, here's talking about himself. And then he kind of paused and he's like, these guys played so hard. My teammates, we all tried so hard. I feel like I let them down. And he wasn't crying now. He was very matter of fact. He was very serious. He was kind of like, but he was just normal. And he was very mature. It was really great. I mean, quality, quality guy. What a quality guy. Then you watch, for example, I hate to say this, but watch the whining in politics and otherwise. Watch the whining in, in different areas of life. It, it was just great. And I give the kid a lot of credit for having, uh, I don't know, in a way survived survived that um, process of of having this massive letdown. You know, if you're a football player or I don't know, maybe a, a, ba- a baseball player for the world series or whatever, pick a, pick a topic and you get that close, you get within one play. You might never get back. 
right? You might never get back to the Super Bowl. You might never get back to that place. So all that stuff went through his emotions. He he let them out. He wasn't like a you, you could imagine it being like a, a, a like a, a, a like a, um, a Terminator, like a some sort of, uh, uh, you know, kind of robot where he didn't cry, but he's 22 year old kid. So he cried on the sidelines, had his helmet on, cried a little bit, sat on the bench. Then he went in, took a shower, got ready, talked to the press, didn't hide, didn't whine, didn't do anything, just talked. I, really impressive. I was really impressed. And I, I bet you that guy will end up back on top. I bet you that guy will end up uh, in a uh, big time uh, position in terms of success because that's how he seemed. He certainly seemed so good for Joseph Osai, O-S-S-A-I. You can look him up. Uh, congratulations on a great season and uh, even better for how you handled what's got to be one of the worst, um, you know, one of the worst things that's happened uh, to you, uh, certainly in your professional career. So there you have it. All right. Uh, Joseph Osai. Uh, very cool. Yeah, that's uh, he's a Nigerian born, uh, born in Nigeria, raised in Texas, played for the University of Texas for a couple of years. I'm just looking at his uh, at his um, uh, record. Uh, and very cool. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we've got a lot more of finishing things, wrap things up here on the Pro America Report. Don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the Daily Wink, as well as get links to these segments and other uh, work we're doing. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, the conservative pro-family broadcast of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a leading voice for the sanctity of life, traditional education, the Constitution, and American sovereignty. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. It's been five years since Senator Dianne Feinstein outrageously commented that the dogma lives loudly in you during Amy Coney Barrett's Court of Appeals confirmation hearing in 2017. But the left is still determined to subject Amy Coney Barrett to a wildly unconstitutional religious test for office. Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution makes plain that no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. It would be hard for the founding fathers to write it any more clearly than this. Yet it is far too often the case that the left does not heed what the Constitution has to say when it does not fit their purposes. Since joining the high court two years ago, Justice Barrett has been berated for not recusing herself from any case regarding LGBT people. All this stems from the fact that she is reported, but not confirmed, to belong to a religious group called the People of Praise, which holds that homosexual activity is a sin. This is a view shared by millions, if not billions, of Christians, Jews, and Muslims worldwide. Holding this conviction does not make Justice Barrett unique among Supreme Court justices or Americans as a whole. But that's done nothing to stop the onslaught of accusations lobbed at the justice because of her faith. With the Constitution as our sword and precedent as our shield, conservatives need to stand against the religious test that the left has concocted for Justice Amy Coney Barrett. They claim to believe in the empowerment of women, yet they would gladly cast down a woman who has risen to the very highest position in her profession. They would stop at nothing to remove any Christian with the audacity to stand against their machinations. One by one, they would remove Christians from public office and replace them with secular leftists who impose their belief that truth is relative on every aspect of American life. Like a sword, the Constitution is a weapon that won't do us any good unless we use it. So it's time to remind the left that no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office. 
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. These culturally relevant commentaries, along with videos, columns, and bulletins, are waiting for you at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Plus, find, follow, and share our news and views on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Parler, Gab, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let's finish up. I just got a couple of minutes. Uh, I want to finish up by talking about my friend, Tim Gagline. Tim Gagline is uh, a, a man who has been one of the leading conservatives uh, around Washington, D.C. Um, he is uh, really an incredible guy. And um, his um, uh, role, he's he's worked over the years with a number of different groups um, in the uh, in the in the country, national groups. Um, and he just is an extraordinary man. He's very, very kind. Um, he's the vice president over at uh, Focus on the Family. Uh, which is one of the great organizations too, uh, founded by Dr. Dobson. Um, and he was, um, in the Bush White House, uh, Bush, uh, W. Bush White House. He happens to count. I don't think he would brag about it, but he counts, uh, as a, a friend over the years, uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh. And when the Justice Kavanaugh things were going on, he is, um, he's somebody who has, um, he was somebody, Tim Gagline, who was out there saying, wait, I know this guy. Uh, everybody needs to relax and pay attention and, uh, and not, not fall for this. Uh, he wrote a memoir a few years ago called The Man in the middle an inside account of faith and politics in the George W. Bush era, uh, which is excellent, uh, really interesting about working in the White House. A, a, a even more interesting book for me was he wrote a book called American Restoration, American Restoration. And he wrote that um, the subtitle was How Faith, Family and Personal Sacrifice Can Heal Our Nation. Um, it was it was almost like a um, national therapy book because He's that kind of guy. People respect him and came out in 2019, I think in July, around July, uh, June or July of 2019. It was excellent. Also a book that's on my bookshelf right across the way. Well, his newest book is out. It's called Toward a More Perfect Union, the Moral and Cultural Case for Teaching the Great American Story. Um, and it's a classic Tim Gagline in the sense that he's not telling you how stupid everybody else is. Because that's not really his thing. He's almost too kind for that. And and I mean it as a compliment. He's saying, here's what the the American story means, what it's about, what its moral and cultural uh, underpinnings are, and why that means something that's good for us, um, that it's healthy for us. In other words, it's not just that you prefer this over someone else. It's that it's good for us. And so it's a wonderful uh, idea to write this. It's a good uh, read. Fidelis Publishing just came out a few weeks ago. Tim Gagline, you should check it out. I'm going to try to get him on the show. I, I called him a few weeks ago. I didn't even realize the timing. I think it was like right when this book was launching, which I'm a little embarrassed of now because I only saw this was out about a week ago. So I'm a couple, a week or so late. Um, but I called him and I said, hey, I want to ask your advice. And he said, yeah, call me back. And um, when he did, we exchanged phone uh, messages. So I haven't talked to him. I'll get him. I'll get him on the show. Tim Gagline, the book is Towards a More Perfect Union, The Moral and Cultural Case for Teaching the a great American story available everywhere you get books. Uh, you go to Amazon or anywhere else, you'll find it there. And it's, uh, it's really good. And, and he's a spectacular guy, Tim Gagline. So I encourage uh, you to check that out. All right, everybody. Let me say, um, 
As usual, thank you uh, to, in this case, Noah Dingley, uh, but also uh, Chris uh, at the uh, Answer San Diego team is uh, sitting in, and we really appreciate when that happens. He has to step up and do that. Thank you also uh, uh, to our great uh, uh, Ryan Height, our associate uh, producer, and uh, we appreciate it. And uh, again, thank you to Chris Dugan for stepping in and uh, for Noah. So we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I'll talk to you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.